Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. So glad that you're here this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to the 15th chapter of the book of John. John chapter 15. Thank you for your continued and faithful giving. I'm going to grab a thing of water real quick here. It's amazing sometimes. You stand up and you start to talk and you think, where's where'd my voice go? There we go. <clears throat> Sorry about that. <clears throat> Your faithful giving just means so much, and we are so blessed uh, by that. Thank you guys for, again, taking up our offering uh, this morning and doing that every week. Your giving truly does matter, and God uses that in such powerful ways in regards to your giving, not just the giving of your, your finances and your resources to the body of Christ. We, we truly, sincerely cannot do what we do without that support. And, and maybe today you uh, are visiting with us or maybe you've been with us for a while and, and you're thinking about how can I better support the ministry at, at First Missionary and by regular faithful giving of your resources, that helps so, so much. Just what you saw today in regards to our future and our future facility, and we remind everybody all the time, that the church building is just, it's a tool for ministry. Uh, it's not the church. We are the church, but the facility is a tool for ministry. It's a tool for worship. It's a tool for service. It is a tool for discipleship. It's a tool for evangelism. It's a tool for the community. It's a tool that God uses through the body of Christ. It's a valuable tool, and we're so looking forward to being in that tool and in that new facility in less than 12 weeks. And as the guy shared this morning, so much that needs to happen is going to happen between now and then. And in the midst of all that, ministry continues to happen and take place. God continues to bless our body and Satan continues to attack the body of Christ. So I really encourage you, if you've been praying for this process, start praying now like you haven't prayed before. The enemy will come against everything that he can. And one of those things that's so important to the body of Christ as we go through things like this is the power of unity, of having a like heart, a like mind about where we're going, what we're doing, what we're about, the vision that God has for us. And today I'm reminded of the opportunity that God's going to give us and has given us even now to make a tremendous impact in this region for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you think, well, this is just a move, this is just a relocation, this is just a building, it is so so much more than that. We really believe that, that lives and hope and eternity 
hinges upon how God uses the church in the future here at this point moving forward. So if you haven't been praying for this, or maybe you have, and I know so many of you have, now start praying and start serving. Start giving to the church body, to the body of Christ, like you never have before. And we're trusting God to work through His people to continue to do great things. It really is an exciting time. Next Sunday, real quick, guys, as you turn to John chapter 15. Next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, I'm going to be leading a baptism class. This is a class that teaches on the importance of Christian believer baptism. We're going to walk through some key scripture together in this class. And then on August the 26th, over at Crossings at Jonathan Creek, we're going to have our annual end of summer baptism service over there. Right now, from what I know, the list that I'm working off of, we're looking about seven to eight people who are going to follow Christ in believers' baptism, um, either at that service or at another time around that service. I'm finding, I'm learning about people. Even this past week, a family came to me in our Wednesday night class and said, our, our, our daughter accepted Christ this summer, and we were wanting to follow up with her on baptism. Can she come to the class? I'm like, absolutely. Bring her, bring your children to the class. And by the way, if you come to the class where we're just talking about what it means to be baptized, the picture it represents, if you come to the class, you're not committed to have to be baptized on the 26th. You can come and just learn. Uh, maybe you've accepted Christ in your life, but you've never followed Him in baptism, and, and you're wanting to take that step of faith. Maybe you're wondering, am I really a believer? I have, am I really in Christ? Have I been born again of the Spirit? We're going to be talking about that as well. So if you're looking for just encouragement and affirmation in your faith, then next Sunday at 4 o'clock, right back here in the Fellowship Cafe, I'll be doing a, a class on baptism. So please come be a part of that. Invite some people. Bring them. Our deacons, our ministers of service will be there assisting. It's going to be a great, great time to explore what this step in one's journey of faith really looks like and what it means. So this is very important next Sunday, 4 o'clock. And then all of you, please come on the 26th at Jonathan Creek. Uh, we're going to be grilling out there. We're going to have a church family cookout and grill. It's going to be a great time to be together. We're going to have a worship service out there, and then we'll do the baptism. So we'll need all of our security guys our deacons, all those folks who serve hospitality and, and the church family to come out and to be a part of it. It's going to be an exciting, exciting evening, August the 26th. John chapter 15. I've kind of been holding this for a little over a month now this particular teaching that I'll be bringing to you over the next two to three weeks. We're going to start a, a, a mini-series today that is simply called Abide. Abide. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about getting things right. 
What does it look like as a follower of Christ? To know and to sense and to believe that that you're where you need to be. That you're focusing on the things that you need to focus on. That you're prioritizing in your life the things that you need to prioritize. That you're valuing the things in your life that you need to value. It just really does us well to take time to look at our lives, to evaluate, and to say, okay, maybe I am a follower of Christ. I I am a follower of Christ. Maybe you're on the journey of of looking at what that means, of of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a, a disciple of Jesus. What does that look like? And and what is my life going to be about if I am truly a disciple and a follower of Christ? About three or four weeks ago, we looked at some of the last words of Jesus in what is known as the Great Commission. And we said, hey, these are the last words of Christ. These were really important to Him. Last words convey so much of what's on a person's heart right before they transition. And we knew that was right before Christ would go back to the Father. Those were some of the last words in each other that we call the Great Commission. And we concluded that the Great Commission, at its heart, is about discipleship. It's discipling as we go into the world. And the Great Commission is not something that can only be done if you go on a mission trip or you travel to other nations. No, Being a part of the Great Commission is something you get to do and can do every day of your lives, everywhere that you go. And we concluded in that, that as a church and as a people who follow Christ, that discipling and having that sensitivity to those who are far from the heart of God, but also... Those who need to grow. Because after all, once you accept Christ into your life, the Scripture identifies you uh, as a babe, a a babe in Christ. And what do babes need to do? Babes need to receive nourishment. And they need to grow. And then one day, you know what happens for a babe? Uh, Celebrating my son's 16th birthday tomorrow. I've been thinking a lot about where in the world did those 16 years go? Wow. But for every parent, you realize that your child grows up and under what we think is a natural course of life, that that they mature, they grow up, but they get married and then they have a family of their own, right? And and it's almost like a, a cycle of life, and this thing keeps going and going and going. And Scripture gives us the picture that the same is of the body of Christ. That you come to know Christ. You're a baby in Christ. You need to grow. You need the milk at first, but then you need the meat of the Word, and you need to grow, and you need to go deeper. You never need to become stagnant. You're always constantly growing 
and learning and following and walking. And as you mature and you grow, God starts bringing people into your life who you help to be on the journey themselves of being babes who need nourishment, who need to grow, who need to walk. And then they themselves are on the same journey. And this is how this thing keeps going and going and going. So, so if in our hearts we have a desire to walk and to grow and a desire to see other people come to know Christ and walk and grow as well, then we can conclude that we're getting some of this right. That we're getting it right. And we're giving other people the same hope that we have found. One of the keys in this, I believe, is John chapter 15. Famous, 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 famous words of Christ. And you can say, well, all the words of Christ are famous. But John 15 is one of those places in Scripture where we have heard so much said and so much taught about abiding in Christ. These words of Jesus, you perhaps have been in Bible studies about, worship services where it's taught on. Maybe you've read books about it. And maybe some of you, you're sitting there going, what's John 15? I have no idea of what you're talking about. Hopefully over the next two to three weeks, you're going to know what we're talking about in John chapter 15. Brings back a memory of my life, though, before we look at the text. Memories can be so powerful. Can I get an amen? Memories can be so, so powerful. I want you to think back to one of your earliest memories of life. Think back, uh, maybe you're, you're growing up, being with the people who, who, who raised you, how you spent your time. You know, for me, growing up very close to my grandparents. Anyone here grew up really, really close to your grandparents? Anyone here really close to your grandparents? You know, being in the South, in this part of the world, that's one of the neat things about being in the South, in this part of the world, is that we tend to be family-oriented and centered. And, and for many of us growing up in a rural community, we got to spend lots of time with Maybe our, our grandparents, right? But regardless of whether it's grandparents or somebody else, you can think back in your life to formative memories and experiences and occurrences that happened in your life. And for me, I enjoyed so much going to my, my grandparents' house. I mean, even now, there are certain smells and fragrances that, that I can identify my grandparents' house. I, I can remember the, the detergent that my, my grandmother used when she washed clothes. I can even hear, I can hear the window fan in the garage because she would close off the utility of her house and there would be a window fan in the garage. I can remember going to certain rooms of my other grandparents' house and, 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 and I can see pictures on the wall. Is anyone going on a journey with me right now? Back to grandma and grandpa's house. At my grandparents' house north of Murray, I can remember going to the back part of their house over by my grandfather's shed, and there were some blackberry 
bushes back there. And I can remember as a kid walking through there and, and seeing those blackberries begin to ripen on the bush, right? Any of y'all walk by a blackberry? We drove by a place the other day, we stopped them, and Brady's picking blackberries out the window, right? And I can, I can remember tasting those. And my grandmother, my grandfather had at their house a grapevine. And let me tell you, those grapes off that grapevine were like none other. Man, they were so sweet. I mean, seriously, they weren't like the hard grapes you find in the store today. They would almost literally, almost like melt in your mouth. And, and, and I don't know what the origin was of that particular vine. But I just remember it being there and going back there with my grandmother and picking. And she would take those grapes and she would make like grape jelly out of it. And, and it was just divine. I mean, divine. So much there with the vine and the grape and the memory. And when you come to John chapter 15, Jesus does the very same thing with people's memories and their experiences and the things that they understood and the things that were common to them. And so many times, if you want to understand how Jesus would teach, then understand that He would take things of life that people experienced and people saw and maybe even fragrances and smells and, and, and all kinds of things of their life and He would take those things and he would teach valuable life spiritual lessons from those. Vineyards and grapevines were something that were extremely common in the ancient world and in Jesus' day. So many times throughout Scripture, the vine, the vineyard, the vine dresser, the workers, the branches, the fruit, the, the, the fruit of the vine itself was so much of, of his life and teaching because they were so common. I'll show you this real quick. As you come to John chapter 15, Jesus would so many times take that which people knew from the physical, visible world of where people lived. I think we have a slide for that that you can see. He would take from the visible, physical world that people knew and experienced in their common life, everyday occurrences, and he would teach a spiritual principle from the invisible spiritual world. If you're taking notes today, we provide a place in the back of your bulletins. This series is simply called Abide. The title of this message is Abide. And one of the teaching points is that to understand how Jesus taught, he would take things from the common, ordinary occurrences of life in the visible, visible, physical world, and he would teach a spiritual principle from the invisible spiritual world. This is also supported in other places of Scripture, like, like in Paul's writings. And you can look real quick, I'll show you the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Here's what Paul, in, what he implored us to do. 
as we look not to the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen or not seen. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are what? They're what? If something is temporal, it is something that has a defined beginning and end. It's temporary. We live so much in a temporary world. But we don't look and set our focus and our eyes on the things that are temporary. And it's so easy to do. I mean, it's so easy to get wrapped up into things that, that are just temporary. And to put so much time and effort and energy and resources in things that are what? Things that are temporary. Here today, a good way to define that which is temporal is this. That which is here today and gone tomorrow. And there is a depth. And there is a wisdom of life where we learn how not to fix our eyes on the things which are here today and gone tomorrow. But there is a depth of life and a wisdom when we see the other layer. When we go deeper into life and we search out matters of wisdom and hope and encouragement beyond that which we readily see. Sometimes it takes a disciplined eye and a trained eye and a, tr a trained heart and mind to see beyond the temporary. So he says, not looking at the things which are seen, for they are temporary. Here today, gone tomorrow. But listen to this. The things that are what? Unseen. And what are they? But the things which are not seen are eternal. The things that are eternal are not here today and gone tomorrow. The things that are eternal are things that have no beginning and have no end. And that's where the real substance of life is lived. The things that have no beginning and have no end and the things that can't be taken away and the things that can't be destroyed. We're singing the song this morning, I can only imagine. What did you imagine? How many of you in that moment of singing that song found yourselves looking to and finding hope in that which is unseen in the physical, temporal world. And what did that do to you? In that moment of focusing there. You say, well, Brother Allen and I have physical eyes, and physical eyes are designed to see the physical things. It takes a spiritual understanding. It takes spiritual eyes. To see beyond the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. How many of you, even now, you're finding hope and encouragement because somewhere in your faith system, you believe 
that the unseen exists. So this is what Jesus would do. He would take the things that you see, and in John 15, one of the most powerful experiences of people's lives, their common ordinary aspects of living, like when I was a kid and I was on the farm with my grandparents, and I remember walking by that vine and tasting the fruit of the vine and experiencing the grapes. Jesus does the very same thing, but he doesn't just say these are good things to remember, but there are spiritual realities beyond the vine. There are spiritual realities beyond the fruit. There are spiritual realities beyond the common, ordinary, everyday experience of knowing what a vineyard is all about. So in John chapter 15... He takes us to a vineyard. And there's so many questions that come up in this very, very, very familiar passage of Scripture. This is what he says. He says, I am the true vine. It's almost a, a statement of exclusivity. I'm the true vine. And, and as soon as he would say the word vine, they would know, they would know, vine, 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 vine. Oh, he's going to be talking about a vineyard. And every vineyard has a vine. And, and the vine is the most important part of that vineyard. Everything else in the vineyard gets its life and its existence and its purpose from that vine. I even understand today that in the premium, the premium vineyards of the world, from which the premium wines come from, the large vineyards, say in California or Italy, wherever else you may travel, every vine in that place has its origin from one central protected, valuable vine. The starter vine. From which everything else comes. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Like a statement of exclusivity. As if, you know, maybe if you're really looking for life and, 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 and fruitfulness and plenty and fulfillment. I'm the vine from which you can draw life from or all people can draw life from. He says, I'm the true vine. And he says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, this is where it starts to get really interesting. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit <laughs> This particular translation says he does what? He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. The word for prune can also be translated as to clean. He cleans the branch, or here it's translated as prune, to prune 
the branch. You and I understand that in the, in the world of taking care of landscape and stuff, that you prune things, you cut things back. And why do you cut them back? So they will grow more and produce more fruit. I mean, I think about my landscape right now. I mean, I cut it back so far early in the spring that it was, it was absolutely barren. Nothing was there. My wife thought I had murdered everything. I mean, she's like, there's no hope for the crepe myrtle anymore and, and everything else that was there. And guess what? Living in where we live, it's like a jungle now. The heat and the humidity, it's like a jungle in the front of my house now. But not that long ago, it was barren. and it Because I'd cut it back and you prune and you cut back so that it does what? That it, that it bears more. Jesus says, every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. And then He says in verse 3, wow, whoo! You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. It would be very tempting when you get to the end of verse 3 to jump right into verse 4 as if this is one solid, comprehensive thought. But I really believe that when you study the text, you'll see verse 4 kind of goes to a new place. It goes to a new place. So there's almost a, another understanding that you need to come to when you start verse 4. And then this is what he says in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus will take the common life principle from the natural world and he will teach a spiritual life principle from the world which we do not see but exists nonetheless question in verse 4 what is the common ordinary principle of life that he draws from it's in verse 4 and everything else that's going to apply to maybe your life or my life in the spiritual existence of things in the spiritual world is drawn from the common, ordinary principle that he just said to us in verse 4. What is the common, ordinary principle? Here's what it is. The branch cannot do what? The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. And you can imagine a branch here that is not connected to a vine, a branch that is separated from the vine, a branch that is maybe just laying on the ground. And there's no connection to the vine. What can that branch do? Or rather, let me ask you this way, what can that branch not do? The branch that is not connected to the vine what can it not do? It cannot bear fruit. And from that common life principle, 
He's going to teach us a spiritual life principle, not just about bearing fruit, but also about abiding or being connected to the vine. So he says, neither can you. So imagine a group of people who are sitting here listening to this and they're thinking, I want my life to be fruitful. Is there anyone here who wants their life to be fruitful? Anyone? Anyone who wants their life to be fruitful? Is there anyone here who, who you would hope in your heart that at the end of the day, your contribution to this thing called life, that your contribution has produced for another something that's going to help them get beyond the temporal and the temporary to that which is eternal and really has substance and hope. Is there anyone here who would hope to think that at the end of the day, I don't care if you work at the prison or you serve at the restaurant or you teach or you, or you, or you, Whatever you do, build houses, do pedicures and manicures and fix hair, whatever you do, I would dare say that we all would want to live a life that at the end of the day we can look back and say, my life produced something that gave someone else a sense of hope beyond that which is here today and what? Gone tomorrow. That is a life that does what? A life that does what? A life that what? Truly, sincerely bears fruit makes a difference. So if you could imagine the audience that Jesus is speaking to and they're going, yes, I would like to bear fruit. Then he says, well, Drawing from the natural world, there is no branch that is not connected to a vine that will ever be able to bear fruit. And then he says in verse 5, see this is where I think there's, he's taking this to another place. He comes back to, okay, Who's the vine? Where is the vine? If I am a branch, to what do I need to be connected? So Jesus says in verse 5, I'm the vine. You are the what? You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him he does what? He bears much fruit. So, so now we're not just talking about producing some fruit that gets people. What about producing a lot of fruit? Gosh, I can remember walking by the grapevine. And when there were lots of grapes on the grapevine, and I didn't just get one, one of those, one really good, succulent, juicy, sweet grapes, but when there was a lot of those, oh my gosh, how many more Jellies and preserves and jams could she make? And how much more did I get to eat and benefit from that, right? 
So he says, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You say, wait a minute, anybody can do something. But you can do nothing of that which will contribute to that which is eternal. You can do nothing of that which contributes to that which is not here today and gone tomorrow, but that which is truly eternal and makes an eternal Now, hang on. It gets hairy in the vineyard. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, when you read this, How many of you, when you hear those very words, images or pictures of judgment come into your mind? How many of you, when you hear those words, images or pictures of, say, hell comes into your mind? How many of you, when you hear that, if this is a picture of judgment and a picture of hell, how many of you are sitting there going, I don't want to be that branch? And for many people who take this seriously, it brings about within their hearts a sense of fear. So then we start asking questions. If I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, do not bear fruit, will He throw me away? Will He cast me into a fire of hell and judgment? Then you start asking the question, okay, I better get busy bearing fruit. And then you start asking the question, okay, if I need to get busy bearing fruit, then what is 
the true fruit of my life. That he's going to evaluate and say, yes, you're producing fruit. You're good. I'll prune you, but I will not cast you away and judge you and throw you into the fire. So tell me what that fruit is. And then if the key is for me to abide, to abide, to abide, to abide, if the key to me bearing fruit is to abide, then what does it mean for me to abide in Christ? So I don't just need to get busy about fruit, but I need to get serious about abiding. And most of us, when we've been taught John chapter 15, we were taught God will never take you as His child and throw you into a pit of fire. God will never take His children and burn them. Most of us, when we've been taught John chapter 15, it's been followed up and someone said, but here's the key. He will never take you and throw you into the fire. It, it, regardless of what the text says, He'll not do that to you. But you need to take fruit bearing serious. And you need to take abiding serious. And here's what abiding is. And then the next thing that would follow would be this. Almost like a, a, a list of things that you need to do and focus on in your life so that you can be assured that you're abiding, so that you can be assured that you're bearing fruit, that you can be assured that you'll not be cast away and burned. And many times in John 15, we just skate around that whole part about being burned. It cast away. We skate around verse 6. But could it be? that we start wrong to begin with. In our approach, in our thinking of John 15. Because most people, when you start in John 15, would say, Jesus is talking to believers. And then from there, he's imploring believers to abide. But then we get to verse 6. And to avoid any teaching or idea that you could lose your salvation and be cast into hell, we develop ulterior understandings of verse 6 to make us feel comfortable in our faith. So over the next two weeks, we are diving in to John 15. 
And could it be that John 15 is so simple that it doesn't necessarily apply the way we typically think it applies? And could it be one of the greatest messages of hope to all people, regardless of where they are in life, and regardless of what their faith is, and regardless of what their background is, this is going to be very exciting stuff over the next few weeks. I want you to hear the words of Christ as you stand with us this morning. When Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are what? All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you what? I'll give you rest. So does he change it? After you come to him? Because if you live every day of your life with a fear or a sense that you're not doing enough or bearing fruit like it ought to be born, then you tell me, how can you live your life in a state of rest? Well, one, one here's what you could do. Just don't take it serious at all. Just don't care. And in the end, the things of the eternal will be like a bad nightmare that come into your life. And many people live there every single day. They do not consider the things of the eternal in one point in time. When this has passed away, the things of the eternal will be like a nightmare coming into their life. But for those who take these matters seriously, then that which eternal becomes something that doesn't have to be feared. But it can be something that to some degree could already be understood and we can see sing songs like I can only imagine and be full of hope and not dread. So you got to hang with us the next two weeks. And if you don't, you might get confused. You might misunderstand. But we're going to do our best to walk through this very important teaching of Scripture. With your heads bowed this morning. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.